My guest on this edition of the Music Meets Pocket Podcast with me, Magica. Sarabay, or Saraberg, if you will, singer-songwriter, producer, label founder, and social and cultural philosopher. That's my description, by the way. I don't think you have that on your business card, although maybe you should. As you may have guessed from my pathetic attempts at pronouncing Swedish, Sara is from Sweden. She started playing the violin when she was eight and made her way towards electronic music production after playing in several bands. She has released two solo albums on Gay Monkey Records, the label that she co-founded with fellow expat in London, Jeff Melnick, and a third album is on the way very soon. More about that later. She's also currently studying garden design. Welcome to the Pocket Podcast. Thank you, thank you. So this is a Pocket Edition, which mm -hmm. means that we've just got three music choices. You pick a track you like and that you want to talk about. I do the same, and then we listen to one of yours, and it's a track from your new album. So very exciting. Let's dive in straight away with your first choice. What have you picked? Yeah, I picked a song from a Van Morrison album, um, and the song is Oh, The Warm Feeling. Great. Let's listen to a bit of Van Morrison. You're filming with the vulture. was Van Morrison with Oh The Warm Feeling. Um, this is really interesting for me listening to this piece. I'm keen, first of all, to find out why you chose it. So spill the beans. Yeah, honestly, I could have picked any song off of that album, basically. No guru, no method, no teacher. It has had such a profound impact on me as a musician. And it's one of those things that's just I just keep coming back to for for guidance somehow. I was fairly young when it came out. It, it was released in 86. And to me, it was just the first, my first meeting with music as a spiritual force. Later, I realized that this also was Van Morrison's sort of first religious album. It's just in the music. So like he expresses that connection to something else with such simple means that it just gets to you. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it's simple. It's just that line, basically. But the music has layers and layers and layers in it. And you, you could probably analyze it for hours. Mm. I just never get tired of it. <laughs> I can understand that. I think because it's got something repetitive about it, quite trance-like. I've written down here, actually, Baroque. Because, you know, in, in, in Baroque music, they have this kind of ostinato, the repeated yep. chords that go round and round and round. 
which is exactly what happens here. Yeah. You notice it particularly with a boom, 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 boom. You're like, okay, that's the end of the cycle. And off we go again. In fact, even these chords without some of the kind of jazzy and bluesy, mm. you know, notes added in could almost be Baroque. You've just got a kind of dung, 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 you know, with very different arrangement, very different instruments and very different things going on in the melody, we could almost have a kind of Baroque piece here. There's something very timeless about it, I think. Yes, there is. It's very simple, but it's not without depth. And the simplicity, I think, is, is, a, is a must for what goes on with the instrumentation. Yeah. All of these horns and saxophones and oboes and all the these kinds of elements and that he keeps introducing into this album specifically uh, could almost be the vocals mm. like his vocals is actually you know taking a back seat to a lot of this instrumentation which also sort of influenced me in ways that that I keep getting to know more about it sort of surprises me oh that's why I can't do the straight melody is it because I think I'm the tuba you know yeah Interestingly, I hear a real link with the artist I've chosen. I'm giving a spoiler here. I've chosen some Joni Mitchell. And in her later life, particularly, she developed an almost kind of Van Morrison style voice. Very, very low in pitch. She can't really do a lot of vocal, you know, leaping. <laughs> in the air so she allowed the saxophonist Wayne Shorter to do that for her and this is exactly what's happening here Van Morrison is just doing his very very simple as you say very modest very held back vocal stuff and the sax goes crazy behind it but isn't that something so beautiful as well because it tells us that there's no limitations like your voice it's not limited to just what you, what the sounds you can make. Your voice can carry on if you let someone else take over and just go run with it. And I think that collaboration is so felt in this track. Yes, it, it feels like a group piece for yeah. sure. Um, the reason I was a bit hesitant and why I wanted you to dive straight in is that this is probably about the most foreign kind of music for me. Mm possible. I don't listen to a lot of male vocalists, I have to be honest. I don't think I've ever listened to a Van Morrison track in my life, apart from on the radio if it comes on, one of his hits. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Certainly I enjoyed spotting the kind of links, yes, this, this idea of a, a group mentality of several musicians, very high quality musicians improvising, clearly improvising around this repeated chord cycle. And I did find it quite touching that he did take a back seat and that he's doing his thing and it, it makes it all the more beautiful because he's not taking all the space even sometimes the female backing vocalists have got higher mix than him they're going I stand by you and he's just kind of <laughs> kind of yeah, growling yeah. away yeah yeah and he does that and I mean that to me that was always and part of why this song particularly and this album has st sticked with me is that this is how I learned to sing like that anything is possible and and anyone can do it. So like you you move in and out of themes and in and out of voices to be learning to sing and have something like that to imitate was just pure joy because if I felt like it, I could be 
I could be those girls or, you know, I could be grumpy old man. It's, this is really interesting because maybe that's one reason that I haven't got into an artist like Van Morrison is that I'm so about the vocalist and I'm always looking at what they're doing. So my idols are people like Kate Bush and, you know, anyone who really plays with the voice, Prince to a certain extent, he's very vocal led and he'll layer his own voice most of the time. Van Morrison here is just saying... I'm part of this group. I've got some lovely backing singers. I've got a great saxophonist. I've got a good Rhodes player. Like, and I'm not used to it. I think I, I listen to this like I would listen to a piece of very unusual world music. It, it's something I have to learn how to understand and break down and get it. But you're helping me to get it. Yeah, yeah I see what you mean. And I mean, I, th I think part of why he does it so well as well is what I said before is about the spirituality he's taking a back seat because he's actually singing about a very intimate relationship with something godlike mm. to him something divine something other something spiritual um, or at least that's how I've always perceived it it might be he's just on a date that's really 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 <laughs> really really good but you know um, he's, he's trying to express that connection that he's found. And I think whenever people manage to do that, it's when they do take a back seat and just go, oh my God, I'm, I'm part of something bigger. Mm. Not like, look at me and what I found yeah. in your face kind of thing. But like, I always pictured him this, like in a very, and there's a song on this album as well called In the Garden. It's very sort of na nature loving as well. I always picture him sort of on this Victorian stone bench, just, <laughs> just having this choir of this orchestra of, of, of people who really enjoys being with around him. And then he's just sort of mumbling to his best friend. Well, interestingly, I think we have three links to my choice. One, nature, check. This piece is based, I've already told you it's Joni Mitchell, it's based on a field recording of drummers from Burundi. Secondly, the sense of group mentality and, you know, various people making music together. Ditto, it's drummers from Burundi. And thirdly, this idea of not too much ego, because I think that's kind of what you're touching on, the idea that it's, it's about something more spiritual, it's not just about the ego. And although Joni Mitchell has written very personal lyrics, this one is a little bit different. So this is a track called The Jungle Line by Joni Mitchell. In a low-cut blouse She brings the beer Russo paints a jungle flower Behind her ear Those cannibals Of shuck and jive His hard-edged eyes and his steady hand He paints the cellar full of ferns and orchid vines And he hangs up in a five-piece bag He hangs it up above the jungle Joni Mitchell with The Jungle Line taken from her 1975 album The Hissing of Summer Lawns bit of a masterpiece I must say I will explain why I've chosen this track but I'm really curious to find out what you made of it because you don't know this track right no no I've never heard it before no very interesting uh I mean the first thing that just jumps at you is that 
amazing baseline thing, which just sounds so now. <laughs> like you can sample right. that and just rock. 1975. Uh, okay, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the instrumentation and the production is really interesting. Sounds really modern. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And of course, her voice and like that characteristic sort of storytelling, she just grips you, doesn't she? You're like instantly transported into a different world. Yeah. That's you phrased that really well. That's exactly the thing. And what I've written down here in my notes is that I think to do what we would now call sampling, that's not really sampling. It's actually taking a recording. I guess it's looped on a tape loop. This is 1975. I don't know how else they would have done it of the Burundi drummers. It's a field recording. That's why I think they're shouting and all of this. They're busy doing their thing. And Joni's just written a song on top of it, which is unprecedented I think I, I don't know anyone else who was doing that in 1975 um, it's quite incongruous with the album I must say um, it fits in very well but there's no other track like it and I don't think she did one previous or post like that so it's a bit of an anomaly the reason I think it works is that her songwriting is so intimate and precise so she's talking about Rousseau paintings and she's talking about waitresses and really specific things like she always does yeah. proper storytelling and yet you have the drummers of Burundi <laughs> hitting their stuff going hey! you know the contrast is very intriguing but I think it works because of that and I think when this kind of thing I say this kind of thing I'm talking about 20 or 30 years later when mm -hmm. people started to really use sounds from world music if you want to call it that they would often end up going down that path as well and saying hey hey Africa Africa we're singing a song outside in the sunshine and I can feel the heat on my body you know she's not doing that no, and, and the contrast between the kind of intimate indoors sense of the lyrics that you know the painter and, and the waitress and these stories it's really about the music industry I think mm. and dressing rooms and mouthpiece spit and really specific things that she's saying and this field recording of the drummers of Burundi outdoors I think that's why it works yeah I mean if anything it makes you think of Army of Me doesn't it the yeah. Bjork track yeah it's transporting you into an internal world. There's nature, but to me, it grips me as sort of an internal play field. So like it's a, this is sort of the, the nooks and crannies of, of your mind mm. that she sort of navigates. Yeah, again, I think you've, you've got a really interesting way of describing not only this track, but that album. I have a hard time really describing it to people. The best is just to listen to it. You could spend many worse 40 minutes than listening to The Hissing of Summer Lawns by Joni Mitchell. And that's exactly that. You feel like you're moving through this creative woman's imaginary world she's mm. telling these stories some of which she's lived most of which i think she hasn't she's probably seen them in films there's a song about scarlett o'hara or at least that kind of character but you do feel like it's it's inside it's in it's in her head and all of this is being created it doesn't feel ambitious like uh, on a kind of epic scale even when the sounds are quite big it feels warm and intimate i think that's also her sense of melody because it's such a playful, engaging melody as well. Yeah, and also what you said before, which is really, really what Joni Mitchell does, is that she creates an intimacy to, to reconnect to what Van Morrison is doing, but in a totally different way. When he's being like, all I need to do is sit here in the garden and just smell you, oh, that's a warm feeling <laughs> for the length of the song. She goes into detail, and that's another kind of intimacy, but it's still intimacy. It's like... 
I really see you. Mm. Like there's nothing about you that the person that she's singing about, if it's her or, you know, someone she met or someone she saw in a movie, there's nothing about that person that is undiscovered. She's just laying it out. Mm. And it, it's interesting how you can, with totally opposite means of songwriting, lyrically, sort of get to the same point by totally different means. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Her songs are very wordy, necessarily. There's verse upon verse upon verse. But each verse, you feel like you're getting a clearer picture of what's going on and the story's unravelling. Whereas, yeah, that Van Morrison track is the opposite. Every time round, you feel like you're getting deeper and simpler and more into trance in a way. The one thing that is interesting in this track, of course, is that the drummers are in a kind of trance, I would imagine, a rhythmical trance. Joni is not. She does not, as far as I can gather, do trance that's not her thing she's a storyteller so if you get in a trance and you end up just telling the same bit of the story again Mm. and again that's why the contrast is so compelling i think because you have this pulsation running through and she's constantly picking out little details and you know precise moments and things and images and feelings and yeah i love this track i think it's really odd and very very successful in what it's trying to do is there even guitar in it? I there mean, is a little yeah. bit of acoustic guitar strumming away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, because that's what you expect from a Joni Mitchell song, isn't it? She could have done without that guitar. Yeah. It's so quiet, <laughs> but I think she needed it there. Just like, hey, I'm still Joni Mitchell. I yeah. mean, just to think this was just a few years after she was doing that folkiest stuff you could possibly imagine. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I've looked at clouds from both sides now. That was late 60s. This yeah. is only mid 70s, you know? Yeah. What a transformation. Yeah. And I mean, that's always how I felt about that No Guru, No Method, No, uh, no Teacher album with Matt Morrison as well. Like, I get the feeling that he just decided to let go of whatever it was that he had done before and just play around with where he was. Something must have been going on at that point that just made him go, I'm just going to sit here and hum and it's going to be gorgeous. Yeah. Well, speaking of humming and it sounding gorgeous, let's have a listen to a track from your brand new album. So this is called... It's called Here Be No Ghouls.
that was Sarah's track, Here Be... Difficult to say that. Here Be No Ghouls. You have to say it with a kind of dramatic voice. That was Sarah Bay with Here Be No Ghouls. Yes. Um, okay, tell us a little bit about this track and, and this album. This one was written sort of halfway through the process, pretty much. And like most of the songs with this album, it just came to me and it was done in like a day and a half. <laughs> Or night and a half, actually. Uh, I'd, I moved to London to write this album and I wrote it in a couple of months. One of the things that I'm really happy about with it is that, to me, I managed to express something very clearly and say something very simple, which is, as long as we stay together, <laughs> we'll be okay. Which is something you tell kids <laughs> and something you quite often want to hear. <laughs> in various situations and I mean the whole album came very much out of frustration actually about the situation in in Sweden that I just left and the situation in in Europe and then of course that escalated with the way refugees are now uh, treated coming to Europe. I was in a very sort of contemporary political mindset. All of these very intimate songs came to me. And at first I didn't really know what it meant, but I think it's got something to do with the fact that in order to be together as a whole, as a society, there has got to be intimacy between us. It is not done with technology and mathematics. Mm. It is done through connection. And so that sort of becomes the place to start, to figure out how to live together in that very most intimate relationship with just the one yeah. other or yourself even yeah. yeah and then you start thinking about that relationship and that connection as a concept and and i guess that's why I'm, i came back to the van morrison track for this podcast because to discover what that connection can be even if you don't subscribe to any specific religion it's very close to divinity it's very close to me it's a spirituality and to you know mm. yeah to just be able to say to someone you know let's stay together and, and we'll be okay I'm really interested in how you recorded the vocals for this, mm. because I think you have a very unique way of singing anyway, but in this track, I think it's particularly pronounced. I would call it hyper-intimate. I always say to people, when I because I remixed one of your tracks, and I say, oh, sorry, she sings in slow motion. That's that's. <laughs> I've never told you this, I don't think. No, I have no idea. But because you have a very slow vibrato, and it's yeah. it feels this kind of intimacy. But I, interestingly, listening to that, having listened to the Van Morrison track and understanding your feelings about it, I think I've understood something. And I think it's that for you, the lead vocal is not necessarily the most important thing and that it's part of an almost orchestral arrangement with all the other synths and everything that's going on. Because then I could imagine you singing this with your headphones and not saying, okay, everyone out the way, it's now time for Sarah. Like, it's not, that is not the vocal at all. You're so blissed out and intimate. And it sounds like you're trying not to wake all the other instruments. There's something very intimate about it. Oh, that's very beautiful. Thank you. That's exactly how I feel, actually. I remember this specific recording. It was it was fairly easy to do, and, I, and just listening to it now as well. To me, it's a movie. <laughs> I mean, it's a very visual track to me. So mm-hmm. it's it's not waking up the other instruments. It's true. It's to me, it's a journey at sea. So it's not waking up the monsters, you know. Mm-hmm. And so to be loud enough and close enough to someone that the message will come across, but at the same time not wake up or anger. <laughs> the ghouls and the monsters that's sort of the 
Do you yes, uh, yeah, I, I definitely get that when I listen. And I think also that you're a singer who really uses your voice as an instrument. I mean, many singers do, but it's again this idea of not so much the ego. I don't think you listen to this track and go, oh, she's really firing on all cylinders, you know, she's doing great, she's nailing it, you know, it's not like the voice, you know. <laughs> But you know what I mean? When people are trying to compete with each other vocally, yeah. it's so intimate. And and because of that, I think you have to listen to it in a different way. I think you listen to it like you might listen to a piece of orchestral music or like you might appreciate a piece of art. For me, it's a pop song, but the interpretation makes it a very different kind of listen. I'm not tapping my foot, for example, even though there's a nice beat. Yeah. I'm kind of, it's more like you say, a journey with the eyes maybe and, and the and the heart. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's taken me quite a while to, first of all, to understand how I see myself in music and how my voice works. And I mean, it's been complicated because I write pop songs, <laughs> you know. There's nothing about me making music that has ever wanted to make it complicated. That's not what I'm going for. It's, an, it's exactly what you're saying. It's a group effort. And it's very, <laughs> I mean, it makes it even more complicated considering that I'm not in a group <laughs> so <laughs> it's even it's it's kind of hard to explain how stepping into the writing process and the producing process is like opening the door to another world to me and all of my friends are there and <laughs> I play around mm. and it's a very sort of collective experience even though I'm doing it myself and it sounds a bit you know out there no I, I don't think it is and I can relate to it um, often with me it's when I'm working with a guest vocalist but when they've gone they spend a couple of hours doing their vocal but then I do feel this great sense of kind of companionship with the recordings even if there's only one vocal and everything else I'm doing all the beats and everything and I put it together it's like oh there's my old friend the bass line you know you do develop relationships with your with your stems yeah yeah do you think that's because I've been thinking about this myself but do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing when it comes to then stepping into the world and, and develop relationships to actual other people? Well, I think there's space for both, but I think that we self-sufficient, self-reliant producers, it's too easy sometimes just to stay at home. That's, I'm speaking for myself yeah. here. It's far too easy for me to just whip up a track on my own with one vocalist maybe and to do what I always do. And partly one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is because I want to engage with other people, get out of my studio and actually meet other people and get other ideas and hear other music. I think it's really, really important. There's a time and a place for everything. Mm. And that intimacy can be great. I did one album that was all about paranoia and a guy going crazy on his own in a haunted house. And I had to go through that. But I don't want every album to be like that. Oh, no. No, no, I think this one, which is, by the way, called Society, so the opposite of being on your own, actually. It's a pro it was a process that I've enjoyed the most. Everything I did was just based on pure joy. I feel like doing this, so I'm going to do it. Oh, what's over there? Let's go explore. Mm. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be able to do that for a period of time. And... I actually do think that I came out of it slightly different by looking at the, the process of, of producing music and actually going into that and actually reflecting upon what it was that I was doing actually made me reflect on how I was interacting in other situations as well. Mm. 
when when my friend wasn't a baseline <laughs> but an actual yeah. person yeah <laughs> i think that there must be a whole kind of book to be written called the baseline is not your friend <laughs> which is basically going through all the instruments saying that the drums are not your parents <laughs> and the oboe is not your uncle yes um, yes how to detach from your your inner synthesizer i guess that's Mm -hmm. something you need to do yes okay this book needs to that could be the name of your autobiography how to detach from your inner synthesizer yes yes <laughs> okay just before we close off the podcast yes. um what are you working on right now well i'm releasing the album so that's going to be out on a digital release i've decided to sort of do it the other way around this time so basically what we've done is just um i've done the artwork and we're just releasing it and gonna take it from there and see what happens and see you know if someone wants to come out and play and do stuff with me and so I've got nothing planned in terms of like live performances or anything I'd love to do stuff mm -hmm. but you know we'll see yeah we'll see great well it's been fantastic having you on the podcast just before we close I'm going to tell you as ever if you'd like to get in touch you can do just send me an email podcast at magica.com or you can interact with me on Twitter I'm at magica you can go to magica.com forward slash podcast you're going to find show notes links to all the tracks and all of the good stuff right vocal impro time what's the main theme of this pocket podcast I would have to say intimacy then okay a nice intimate sound okay let's see what comes out channel some intimacy Tack så jättemycket. Varsågod.